Hey there, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the She Ventures Now podcast. I am your host, Gayon Nicole, and I've got a wonderful interview uh, teed up for you. It's with the lovely Sarah Corville. I know Sarah from back in college and in working in church ministry together. Sarah Corville currently lives in Central Florida and works at a small community college empowering students to achieve their educational goals. She recently received her master's degree in nonprofit management and stays actively involved in her community by serving on several nonprofit boards. In her free time, you can find her at the gym, spa, or the closest Chipotle. In this episode, as I've told you guys before, this whole season is all about singleness. In this episode, she's sharing her journey as a single woman, and I hope you enjoy. Thanks so much for being uh, accessible, available with me in this journey of processing singleness and taking the survey and being really honest. And um, I would like to say I felt like your answers were. it felt like when I was reading your answers to the survey that you took it seriously. So I just really appreciate that about you. I I appreciate that you affirm me in processing out loud and like validating like, wow, there's a need for this, you know? And so as I welcome you, I would love for you to kind of introduce yourself and give us a little background on who you are professionally and, you know, how we know each other. Awesome. So yeah, thank you, Gan, for just this opportunity to be interviewed. I really appreciate it. Um, So my background is I've always been involved uh, working with students. Mm -hmm. I went to the University of Florida, Go Gators, and got a degree in advertising with the hopes of like advertising positive music to teenagers. Oh, wow. That was a good way to reach youth. Mm -hmm. Um, And at the time, I had been exposed to a lot of positive music that I felt was unheard of. So that was my intention. After I graduated, I did a summer internship with my church. Um, and as soon as that internship was over, I was hired in our youth ministry. And I began this journey of working with students um, in the church as well as outside of the church. And I did that yeah. for three to four years and realized I uh, really connected more with the students outside of the church. Yeah. And that's when I started working in the public school system in Gainesville and I taught for uh, about a year and a half, Um, and then I was getting to the age where Gainesville was surrounded with 19-year-olds and 20-year-olds, and I was no longer (laughs) in that age bracket, Um, didn't quite fit in, and I felt like I needed to grow up and mature somewhere else, so I started looking for jobs outside of Gainesville and um, got hired at a small state college in Central Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been doing higher ed for the last three years. Um, I teach at the school, but I'm also one of the senior managers over our bachelor's program at the school. Perfect. So I wanted to hear maybe more about what makes you feel comfortable and in, in even broaching this topic out loud, right? Because I've realized in even creating this platform and creating a blog and wanting to create products you know, I'm realizing and even having to pinch myself, like some of this stuff is just hard to talk about, you know? So I just wanted to hear what makes you comfortable in talking about it. So I think that's exactly it, is that people don't really talk about it. Yeah. Um, When I worked with students who were, you know, in middle school and high school, because they're at that age and there's hormones, it was something we talked about all the time. So it's very normal for me to talk 
to them from a mentor's perspective. Right. When it came to being mentored, I didn't find a lot of my friends, peers, you know, people who were older than me, um, comfortably talking about this subject. If yeah. they were talking about it, it was coming from a sense of like insecurities or, you know, desires to move on past singleness. It wasn't about being content and being single. Yeah. That's a good point. I found that in my own life too, from, you know, you kind of pick the sample of conversations that you find yourself in as a single woman from your friend, friendship circles, and you find like the content tends to be, or the theme tends to be feeling inadequate, feeling insufficient, where are all the men? And you never find yourself, it's, it's not that you don't have friends who talk about it positively. It's just that those seem to be the juiciest conversations of like, singleness sucks or I don't know what I'm doing or where are all the men as if you know you're in this desert (laughs) you know so it's kind of crazy so let's dive into some questions that I kind of ask all of my uh, interviewees for the secure single woman what moment in your life did you ever feel extra single where it's like you realize oh snap I'm not married I mean we all were born not married but like I think there's a distinct moment where, and it's not like you had a coming to Jesus moment, but it's like, wait, I'm really not married. And I'm, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm 27. <laughs> so. I actually had two moments that were um, really prominent in my 20s. So yeah. one of them was the summer between my sophomore year of college and my junior year of college. I went to six weddings. Wow. In two and a half months. Wow. And most of them were friends in college. Uh, two of them were my small group leaders. So when you go to a wedding, after a wedding, after a wedding, and you're not bringing a date, so you're going by yourself. <laughs> no, <laughs> pl- no plus one. Nope, nope, nope. No. Not bringing anyone. No, no, over and over and over again. Yeah. Um, and then the other moment was actually more recently. A couple years ago, I moved away to a city where I knew nobody. Mm-hmm. And um, I was having to navigate making friends, finding a church. Yeah finding social circles, social groups, things to get involved in. And everybody is married, but nobody's really talking about, like, Sarah, you are single. Um, <laughs> so it was obvious to me, but it wasn't necessarily a big deal with the people that I was around. So, yeah. Um, very interesting. Yeah. And I think, too, it's funny because you just mentioned something that maybe we shelve in the back of our minds. I don't know how to put it or word it, but, like, it's always interesting meeting a lot of married folks because you never want them to broach the topic abruptly because it can feel contrived. It can feel inappropriate. It can feel awkward. But then it's like when they don't talk about it at all, it's like, man, I wish they would just throw me a line. Just help me out. You know, do you have any friends? Which, you know, where do people go? You want, you want some form of acknowledgement you know, and that I can, I can sense that from your scenario a lot. So, so I appreciate you because again, there was, I think there was one of the questions on the the art of singleness survey last year that I put out and I'm not sure what the, the, the question was again precisely, but I know I felt like your thought patterns as a single woman and your aha moments were really good to share or would be beneficial to share. Could you share some of them here? reshaped my mind as a single person yeah um most of them were by dr Brene brown so Mm. she wrote a couple books the gifts 
of imperfection. Um, writing them down. Strong, daring greatly were three books. And the premise of all of her books and all of her research is on living a wholehearted life. And the way that you get to that is being vulnerable. And vulnerability takes courage. And I've always been somebody that was more reserved, uh, more to myself, more private. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I'm in my late 20s, and I want to get into a deep, intimate, lasting relationship, but I'm not willing to share the most private parts of me, right? Yeah. I go through this journey of basically testing it out with my close friends, of sharing the deepest parts of me and seeing how they respond. And lo and behold, they really do love me and they really do care about me. And their response responses were encouragement, affirmation. Um, and I felt like it built me up as, wow, I am worthy of being loved and I am worthy of being known and I am worthy of being accepted. But you don't really realize that until you actually step out yeah 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 vulnerability is hard um I think I've struggled with vulnerability um as an adult single professional woman because specifically with friends who are married because I feel like it's one thing to share with another single person but it's another thing to share with your married friends who then can take your vulnerability and then analyze it later for their pillow talk. Like, I just don't, I just don't want to be, I don't want to be, I don't, yeah. Like, I don't, I don't know how to make that make sense. But like, I think vulnerability becomes harder when I, I think this is how I size up relationships, right? This, and this is not deep or anything, but like married people get to, to hash out what they go through and how they're developing and things that they're overcoming and things that happen in their day every day. That's part of companionship. But like single people, we have to do that on ourselves, by ourselves. And when we, when we uh, have conflict and we might present that to a couple, it just makes me feel like they get the benefit of like hearing my problems, but I don't hear their problems because right, they're into, <laughs> do you get what I mean? It's unfair. <laughs> it really is. It, it you, you feel like, the, yeah. Not to make it an us versus them. Obviously, that's one of my thought patterns that I've had to overcome and almost have to, like you said, I've never read Brene Brown's books, but um, the idea of valuing vulnerability and also choosing to reinvest in your relationships by being vulnerable. I've had to realize that over the years. It's like, you know, as we grow older, you have to choose to reinvest in your relationships and not just be like, oh, well, we were always friends because we were college buddies, you know, and we were we were so close back then. And you have to, like, choose to be close again and again. But it gets hard. It does. It, it does. I mean, it gets hard. Is there anything else you want to share? Maybe like moments in time where you kind of realize like, OK, this thought pattern while I was single and younger and immature, I had that way of thinking about life, relationships, friendships. And now, you know as a single professional woman, I've learned this, you know? Yeah, I think one of the things I learned, and it was through um, a lot of experiences, is I always thought that marriage was bliss. Like, I grew up in a home. Wow. Never, never saw my parents argue, never saw them fight, never saw really? them disagree. Um, so imagine 18 years of that, and then I go off to college, and after I graduated, I actually had the opportunity to live with a family. And then mm -hmm. as more of my friends got married, they were gracious enough to share the struggles of being married. Wow. So living, living with a married couple and then having 
friend's dialogue with Sarah, it's not all peaches and cream. Like, it is really hard. <laughs> I am tempted to leave every weekend, you know? So I think um, for a while I thought, you know, marriage is, you know, the ultimate peak. It's <laughs> happiness 24-7 and not actually considering that it's it's hard work. Yeah. Really. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Wow. Yeah, I think a lot of and that's something I'm I'm really trying to espouse in some of the writings I'm making in the blog that I, I posted on um, Art of Singleness, uh, that marriage is not the standard of happiness, right? You, it's not your it's not the badge of achievement that you're trying to strive for, Gayon. Like this is me talking to myself. You need to stop thinking that it's going to bring you happiness or uh, being a wife is better than like it's inherently better than being single. Um, it's definitely some, some, one of the aha moments I've had as well. So Sarah, what's one of the things that you think it takes to be secure and healthy while being single? Hmm. I'd probably have to say, and this is really hard for, uh, women who are successful at a young age is creating margin in your life. Yeah. So I think there's this false idea of I am successful because my schedule every block hour is full at some point <laughs> and I'm contributing purpose and adding value to the people I'm surrounded with at work or at home right the community and to for me to really be secure means there is one block where there's nothing there and that is okay yeah okay? I have free time and to rest and to have downtime yeah. And to not feel guilty when you want to watch a TV show, to not feel guilty when yeah. on a Friday night you maybe just want to chill at home. And um, yeah, I feel like that that in the last year has really taught me what being secure with myself means and what what that looks like. Where do you think the pressure comes to overpack our schedules as single people, especially, comes from? Like, where do you think that that motivation or that that inkling? comes from so I know what um is tempting for me is social media is a big tempting thing because that's where everybody's updating like what they're doing <laughs> where they're going what they're involved in right and only the highlights you know it's only the good stuff right so um obviously more people post than others but you see all of your friends <laughs> yeah amazing things and going to all of these amazing places yeah and to these amazing organizations and you're like well I made a salad today for dinner <laughs> so that's better than eating cereal you know? right 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 um, your accomplishments um you can tend to compare them and I I feel like I have to resist that I have to be okay with not having a jam-packed schedule I am actually more happy and more content when my schedule is not jam-packed yeah yeah because you can be healthier, be balanced, take care of yourself. You can have a pace that's sustainable. I know for me, um, you know, I put that question here for a reason, because for me, and this is going to sound really weird. I thought that the longer or the length of time of me being single meant that I would have to busy myself to distract, almost like to distract myself from not having someone to come home to or not having a family of my own. I felt like being busy was good and healthy and thinking like, oh, this will be great because I'll be like, you know, making sure that I'm not in compromising situations with men or like thinking that I'm super lonely and thinking that the work would be good, right? 
And that's just not true. (laughs) It's not healthy, you know? And I found myself having to defeat that thought by realizing, and this sounds horrible, but becoming depressed with overworking and becoming depressed with feeling like I'm not enjoying time with my family. I'm not getting time with friends. I can't, you know, with one particular friendship, I felt like we never did anything fun. We were always just working on stuff. And it, it, it just became a matter of health. It became a matter of mental and emotional health. And me being honest with, is this lifestyle sustainable? And would someone who would be my spouse, my husband, uh, approve of this kind of pace of living, you know, like, and if he, if I, and I had to like ask myself that and be like, I don't think he would, I think he would be like, you need to slow down. We need to have time together. And if somebody who's going to be my spouse is telling me that, and I can imagine that, then how much more should I apply that now? You know? So it's kind of interesting because I think there is some insecurity in being single when you feel like you're, you think you're doing a good job by being super busy and having this facade of being productive, but really and truly, it's like, are you really enjoying your life now? Right. You know, you're almost setting yourself up for failure. In yeah. Marriage. Yeah. When I married that I can be okay with a free night at home. Right. Like that's my spouse and not feel like we need some kind of agenda item to spend time together. Exactly. You know? Exactly. So ready for rapid fire questions? You ready for this? Okay, cool. Sarah, what's your best piece of advice or the best piece of advice you've ever heard about attraction in men? Hmm. So as far as, give me more information. Sure. Like what, what did you learn from a book? Uh, It could be even from a movie show, um, from your girlfriends, from your mom about what attracts men to you. Or what can attract men? Or what what are men attracted to? It could even be from like a previous dating relationship, whatever. Okay. So I think I learned this as a, as a teenager, actually. I was 14 or 15 and really insecure about my body, as most, you know, young preteens are. Yeah. And um, I have curves in places that I would prefer not to have curves, right? Yes, to curves. <laughs> yes. I remember complaining to this guy I was interested in, like, oh, I just wish my thighs were smaller, you know? Mm-hmm. And he was like, Sarah, men love thighs. Wow. <laughs> right? Yeah. And no way, on ever since that moment, I have not desired thinner thighs or less. Oh, that's good. Being confident in my body type. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's good. All right, second question. What's the best piece of advice you've ever heard about beauty? I feel like I've gotten encouraged a lot when it comes to beauty. And um, I think it goes deeper than our skin. So I think people like look at my dimples and they'll say things like, oh, you have such beautiful dimples. But your character and your personality is beautiful too, you know? (laughs) So it's almost like they need to counteract the outward beauty to remind me that my beauty is really inward in our characters. So Mm -hmm. um, I would say to remember that is probably more important than your outward beauty. Mm -hmm. Do you think that people do that to you because they feel like complimenting you on your physical beauty is insufficient? Yeah. And I feel like they think it's vain. Okay. It's almost like not something that I should focus on. 
So I want you to receive the fact that I think you're beautiful, but I don't want you to focus on it. So <laughs> it's like your character and what's inside is what really matters. Like Got you. See, that's interesting because I think I grew up in that same school of thought. I think it's a good one. I think, you know, we're, you know, in contrast to the world around us, especially media and materialism in the world, I feel like I was raised in a family where my mom was always a very, very, very vocal about me not being vain. And she didn't want me to wear makeup until like 16. And even then it was like, yo, just don't go, don't go crazy, you know, but I think what's really beautiful, what I've seen or what I can um, add to this is that uh, I believe character is important. I just think that it's helpful. Like it was helpful for me to see my mom take care of her outward beauty growing up. And like to this day, the woman will get her nails done every, twice, you know, twice a month, get her hair done. She'll do something different in the, in the spring and then she'll do something different in the fall. You know what I mean? Like she practices really good self-care when it comes to outward beauty, which requires time, which requires budgeting and, and money. And it requires just the wherewithal of like, okay, if I'm going to get my hair done, it's going to be two hours. This, t- you know, we know black women, hey, hair is a thing. It's, it just... Such a commitment. But um, I think somewhere in the church or somewhere in some of my friendship circles, um, like it wasn't like it was all about character to the point where like character negated beauty and beauty negated care. Like you feel like people giving you a compliment. I can I can totally see or I can totally see someone saying, Sarah, you are so beautiful today. Your hair looks great. But you're like (laughs) and feeling like they have to say something more substantive. It's like, no, you can be both. It can be totally both. It's like, it's cool to read the parts of the Bible where like the writer is saying Sarah was beautiful, right? Abraham's wife was beautiful. They tried to kidnap her in in Egypt. They were like, we're going to take her. Why did the Bible do that? You know? So there's just, I, I feel like that's the whole point of this rapid fire question. I didn't mean to throw you off by it, but like part of this question is like, you know, a single woman there can be this uh, this conflict on the inside. Like, okay, well, I'm not married yet. I don't really think I need to think about the outward beauty. And it's like, no, you should probably prioritize that, yeah. you know, even before the guy comes, you know? Yeah. So, well, third question, what's the best piece of advice you've ever heard on dating in general? Just like. I feel like it's advice that I've given to some of my friends is to have fun with it. Girl, that is just, yeah, of, it should be like the good people, news. A lot of people um, will tell you that you only date people that you're interested in marrying. I'm like, that is like too much to think about too soon. It is. Like, it's, <sighs> can I just go to a concert with him or a basketball game with him or out to dinner with him and just have fun? I don't feel like there needs to be this, um, you know, he meets my top 10 list. So I can go on a date with him. Um, you know, I can go on a second date with him. <laughs> the deeper list. Like, no, just have fun. I need you to turn up your volume and just speak <laughs> clearly into the microphone because you are saving lives. I think you're saving massive amount of lives right now. So, you know, go ahead. Just say it one more time. Just best piece of advice for dating per Sarah. Go ahead. Have, have fun. Enjoy the process. That's good. That's really good. Um, that's helpful for me. I'm really cerebral. I So I have to kind of like 
retrain myself to be less cerebral in the last five years it's kind of been my mo is gayon don't overanalyze love don't do it so when you said have fun it just resonated with me because that's been something i'm i uh i'm practicing right now number four best piece of advice you ever heard on happiness Mm. unpack that Mm -hmm. so I feel like as women we are nurturing we are giving Um, a lot of times we're put in situations where our role is to take care of the people around us and sometimes we forget about ourselves and forget that our happiness is important important too so um, obviously practicing that while I'm single is a lot easier than with you know a husband or with but I feel like I'm setting myself up for success by every week intentionally um, putting things in my schedule that make me happy. That's you know? good. Yeah. Not, not feeling guilty about it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Especially if you're an overachiever or you're someone who's inclined to, uh, again, like we said, pack our schedules with things we have to do for work. I think it can be really hard to see the need to one rest but then also do things that are fun for yourself, even without another girlfriend. You, it's just, you know, you're dating yourself. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm going to prioritize me doing fun things by myself. You know, that's really good. Okay. Yeah, it's completely fine. Number five, what's the best thing people can do to love themselves? I think we already even touched on that, but if you have any thoughts, go for it. Yeah, so for me, it came down to being confident in who I was yeah. and who God created me to be, um, working out and eating better. <laughs> wow, yeah. So I feel like as you get older, you realize uh, what you eat really does impact your thoughts, your energy, um, your vibrance and skin tone. Whatever. Yeah. They tell you so much water, but it really becomes apparent as you get older. Right. So... For me, it was living a lifestyle that was healthy. So exercising, um, not putting junk into my body. Yeah. Um, But yeah. I love it. Number six, what's the best song, quote, poem, or Bible verse that has cheered you up over the years while being single? It would probably have to be um, Ephesians 3.20. Yeah. So... The verse that talks about how God um, is able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. Yeah. And I feel like that's such a practical verse because as girls, we like fantasize and imagine and dream about what it's going to be like to fall in love. Yeah. What it's going to be like to come home to this, you know, burly, handsome man <laughs> and know that our creator yeah. has thoughts way above that. And even better than we can think. Um, yeah. Always encouraged. So I'm like, really, God, can you really outthink me? Because I have like really nice. I'm saying, <laughs> come on, God. A really long wish list. Really? Yeah. yeah. That's a great reminder. I love that. Number seven, what book outside of Brene Brown? I don't know if this was going to be it, but what books would you recommend? What book would you recommend to the She Ventures tribe and why? Um, keep your love on by yeah. Danny Self. Mm-hmm. And um, the beginning of the book, 
beginning of the book just starts off describing what it means to be a powerful person and what it means to be a powerless person and how in relationships it takes two powerful people to come together. Um, and he does an excellent, phenomenal job of breaking down traits of powerfulness and what it looks like when you enter conflict in a relationship. Um, and the reason he titled the book Keep Your Love On is because his premise is in every conversation, in every conflict, in every decision, in every um, act of love for your thoughts, actions, feelings, and being a powerful person in that relationship. So love it. I would definitely recommend it. It's an easy read, very, very practical. It's even something that you can apply and practice in your um, relationships with your friends and with your family. It doesn't necessarily have to be in a relation, uh, relational conflict. Love it. Thank you for sharing that. So far, you've been the only one that shared that. I have heard great things about Dan Danny Silk's book. I haven't read it yet. I bought it though recently, and so it's on my it's on my list for 2017. I have not read it though. So, um, so we're at the grand finale time, and I don't know if you saw the movie Collateral Beauty yet. Have you seen it? Okay. So just to preempt you, it actually tanked at the box office. I saw it. I thought it was a good film. Um, but it was written by Alan Loeb and it stars Will Smith and it makes an interesting assertion and it's very simple. It's not novel idea, but it basically talks about, uh, navigating grief, pain, and heartache. And it says the movie hangs on this one line and concept. And it says in the moment of your grief, make sure you notice the collateral beauty all around you. Now, I don't want to make the parallel that singleness is all about grief. Right. Because I don't think that singleness equates to grief. But I think that the longer you are single, the more bouts of sadness that you have you have to grapple with in feeling like your dream appointment with not being married by a certain time. And what I would love for you to share in closing is what's the main collateral beauty you've seen in your own life, in your own singleness? That is a really great question, and I feel like that's something I've um, experienced more and more over the last couple years as I'm getting older and still single. Yeah. Um, I think I would say I have just grown to really, really value friendships with um, a core group of girls. Like, they have... Uh, really taught me what it means to be strong, what it means to be vulnerable, what it means to be happy, um, just having a space where I can share the deepest parts of my heart and my soul, and yeah. um, mm -hmm. having really good intellectual thought, always not agreeing on things, but yeah. still being able to, you know, at the end of the day, say, I love you, even though I disagree. <laughs> um, but just being at an age where you can be comfortable in your skin to have really deep relationships. And even though it's not in a context of marriage, to yeah. enjoy aspects of intimacy on a different level. Right. Um, I yeah. feel like has really helped me to grow and enjoy life more. Like mm -hmm. we're all created to be in relationships, but what those relationships look like and how uh, much you allow them to go deep is really up to you. And I've had, you know, four or five, really really close friends that I feel like I can share just about anything with and not have any shame or any guilt and that is a really really good feeling 
Yeah, it is. And I can just tell from your answer that it's enriched you so much and it runs deep, you know? Um, so that's, that's definitely a beautiful note to end on. And I'm thankful with you that God gives us friends and the ability to experience love beyond romantic love. Because if, if, if all the love is, is wrapped up in marriage, <laughs> then like, what was, what was us? Right. But, but I'm appreciative that you echo a similar sentiment and I'm glad that you have that collateral beauty. Thanks so much for your time, Sarah. I really appreciate you and just your authenticity and your ability to be vulnerable and recorded because that's another element of this, right? Sharing this with other people. Um, I'm, I'm excited about new things in your life and I'm excited about, uh, just being able to share this, this talk and this podcast interview with others. So thanks again. Thank you again. This is a really, really great experience.